Hey everybody, I'm Kate Conroy. And I'm Vinny Civitella. And this is Other People's Business, which is the podcast from the New Jersey Business and Industry Association, the largest statewide business association in the country. We release a new episode every other Wednesday, so be on the lookout for that. Shout out to New Jersey Manufacturers Insurance Group. They do home, auto, and workers comp. So check them out if you need some updated coverage. They are the official sponsor of the show. Just a couple housekeeping matters before we get started. You can check this podcast out anywhere where you can get a podcast. That's like iTunes, Google Play, Amazon's Alexa. We throw the videos up on YouTube. If you want to be notified anytime we're new, you can just go to njbia.org slash subscribe, and they'll give you all the links on the different networks where you can subscribe. So with all of that out of the way, let me introduce our special guest today, Rachel Durkin of Paradigm Marketing and Design. So Rachel, say hi. Let the audience hear your voice. Hello, everyone. We're so glad you could be here with us today. Thank you for having me. So today's icebreaker is, what are you currently binging? Um, scrambled eggs <laughs> and, and Downton Abbey. Really? It's late for Downton Abbey. It is. I've been going through this, this phase where I've been watching shows that like were like totally acclaimed and won all these Emmys. And I was like, eh, I don't want to watch that. And so I've been like, I actually did the West Wing before this. So I'm going backwards and oh, I'm really pleased so with it. It was good. That's awesome. And when you say scrambled mm -hmm. eggs, do you mean you're making a lot of scrambled eggs for people who live <laughs> in your house? <laughs> I just, for some reason, I've wanted scrambled eggs lately. So funny. <laughs> it's like my go-to breakfast of choice. I thought maybe I had missed some, some new show that everybody was watching. <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching Down Abbey while I'm eating scrambled eggs. I love it. That's perfect. A double binge. <laughs> uh -huh, yeah. Vin, what are you binging? I haven't gotten to finish or start anything new in a while. We did watch, you know, we're trying to get a little bit more out of the Disney Plus subscription. So um, mm -hmm. I found out that there's a third Beauty and the Beast movie. So we decided to put that on because I'm a big fan of the first one. That's man, was that awful. There was a second. There was a second. The second one was the Christmas movie. There's um, oh, And here's gosh. the weird thing about like Beauty and the Beast. And I assume that the Lion King, or not the Lion King, sorry, the Little Mermaid is probably about the same way. I didn't watch the mm -hmm. Little Mermaid sequels, but Beauty and the Beast starts with them in a certain place and it ends mm -hmm. with them in a certain place. And it ends, I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler here on Beauty and the Beast okay. 1 because the statute of limitations <laughs> on that should have expired by now. But like oh, it no. ends with them like, you know, happily ever after, not magical mm -hmm. anymore. They're all human. Great. So if you want to have a sequel to that or make more, it has to happen inside the first film in order for that to work. So that's what both of the sequels do. Like there's that montage scene where she's, we're seeing something that wasn't there before and they're, they're throwing snowballs at each other. And that one little yada, yada, yada montage in the middle of Beauty and the Beast one is where two films now take place. So like, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Cause like they can't uh... be totally in love because like they're not totally in love yet at that point in the movie. And it, it's, it, it was just bad. It was, first of all, like the second one is yeah, <laughs> That no, you sounds should. awful. That sounds like a, a land grab to me. That sounds like a cash grab. Disney was like, oh, totally. there's a built-in audience. We're going we're gonna to get like the B team to write a terrible script. And the people who write music for us, they're already on staff. So we'll just get them to do whatever. And the parents are going to be forced to buy this schlock because... Again, built-in audience. I'm mm -hmm. sorry, I hate Disney. That's just yeah. This, <gasps> at least now you I don't can't have say to like, I go out. I hate Disney. It. Come on, <laughs> I'm not a fan. I don't know. It just seems like I'm more often mad at Disney than I'm happy. <laughs> <with them. laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I mean, the originals. Come on. 
They've ruined Star Wars. Of course, I'll give I, you the originals. Yeah. I gotta say, though, watching Little Mermaid as an adult now with two young kids, it's really a terrible movie because it's like a 16 year old who doesn't listen to her dad, who does whatever she wants and right. complains. And, and is rewarded everyone's for it. rooting for her. <laughs> that, and you know what I watched the other day that was terrifying was Pinocchio. Oh. I had it on with my four year old and I had to turn it off because oh, they take the puppet yeah. to Pleasure Island. Like, I was like, yeah. I didn't understand these things when I was a child, I but. It's pretty yeah. terrible. <laughs> it is totally terrible. Yeah, I'm not a yeah. fan of Disney. Um, they've ruined Star Wars. Like, then weren't you just recently telling me that George Lucas is lobbying to take them back and fix them, even though he wasn't great either? <laughs> yeah. I So, like, everybody is saying that um, Kathleen Kennedy, who's the president of Lucasfilm, is to blame for everything that's gone wrong with Star Wars since Disney took over. And I don't disagree with that, but I blame George Lucas for everything that went wrong with Star Wars before Disney took over. <laughs> so bringing him back and putting him back in charge is just going to be like even worse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Totally agree. I'm not a fan. Mm. Oh. Um, well, I don't know. I got to say like Kate, the Frozen and Moana's are pretty amazing. <laughs> I'll give you that. Frozen is great. Moana's yeah. great. Well, the first Frozen was great, but again, the land <gasps> grant. I loved the second one. Yes, I'm sorry. You're right. I love the second one as well. But there have been a, a couple of like minis that have been okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll give you that. Kate got really passionately into Frozen 2 because I told her <laughs> before she watched it that somebody, like main characters, more than one main character in that film die. And she was like, <laughs> oh, what? So like Hans? And I'm like, no, no, no. If there are four characters that you think of in that film, two of them are goners. <laughs> and, um, that doesn't not happen. That's but true. Like, That's true. She's texting yeah. me while she's watching this. Yeah. And she was just like blowing her mind. <laughs> it was. I was texting him as I was watching and I was like, this can't be. That's <laughs> actually pretty good to really think that it was like over and done with. Like Olaf is, is melted forever. That's pretty awesome. I did. I really thought he was gone. It made me so sad. <laughs> That would be real. That was pretty sad when I watched that. Probably. I know. His <laughs> recap of the first movie is my uh -huh. favorite part of the second I movie. could watch that on repeat over and over again. <laughs> I want him to start I told Kate they should just make like a little short film series where he does like all the Disney films and just explains them. Yeah. They did you know a what? Short That's true. Story. They did a short film series for Toy Story. Uh, it was like four he asks a question and those were just like mind-numbingly terrible and i'm like that would have actually been a good idea why not just uh -huh. do that instead but yeah totally yeah agree. Mm. anyway all right so i'm still working my way through uh rupaul's drag race and the umbrella academy and then for fun i'm still also kind of working through kath and kim that silly australian show on netflix it's so very silly I'm but that one. sometimes i just need silly in my life you know I mean, yeah i went what, at the height of COVID, I went through a romantic comedy phase where I was like, just give me the most garbage movie you can find as long as it ends happy. And I, that was my big binge yes. for a while. <laughs> yes, I recently, uh, with a girlfriend, she forced the issue. We were doing a socially distanced movie night and she insisted on Kate and Leopold. And I was like, <laughs> why would anybody do that to themselves? <laughs> I'm telling you by the end, I was like, they're going to get together. Time <laughs> travel is not going to be a barrier. <laughs> yeah, I wish I was. I occasionally get really into romantic comedies. Like the last one I watched was Bridget Jones's Baby, which is, mm, I'm going to admit, that. not the first time I've seen it either. So <laughs> it doesn't hold a candle to the first one, but I was yeah. willing to watch it twice. So. <laughs> so Rachel, tell us what you do at Paradigm. 
So Paradigm is a web branding and marketing agency, and we serve often, besides building websites, purpose-driven purpose websites for our clients and, their, and helping them with their branding strategy, we often serve as their outsourced marketing department. We specialize in working with both nonprofits and B2B services that have a consultative sale. So if you have a challenging sale or something that has to be explained, uh, that is a great market for us because we specialize in helping them create marketing and sales funnels that are going to shorten their sales cycle and increase the number of leads they're going to gain access to. Wow, that is incredible. And you told me, I think, that this business started as like a hobby, right? It did. I... Um, after college, I went to college for um, marketing. And after college, I had a couple of real jobs. And in one of those real jobs, I went back to school for web and graphic design just to strengthen my skills. And I realized I liked making websites and designing them. And so I did that for fun at nights and on the weekends for a couple of years. And it just started kind of taking off. And the next thing I knew, uh, I was making more money at my hobby than my real job. That's incredible. And you, if I understand correctly, you kind of didn't miss a beat because you and your team were already just about virtual, right? You mean with COVID started? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. 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 We, you know, so we have 12 team members, um, about 70% of them are in New Jersey, but we also have employees in Canada, Hawaii, um, Louisiana, all over the country. So a lot of our team members were in a virtual environment anyway, and the ones that were local, we would only meet one day, one to two days a week in the office and the rest of the days were local. So when this happened, we certainly had some challenges and had some adjustments to do, but we, were, we had some pretty good systems in place already, so it wasn't that painful for us. That's amazing. So I'm just curious, how are your clients doing in, uh, in COVID times? So what's really interesting um, is, I've seen two different sets of, of people or, or companies come out of this. So when this happened in March, I remember in like two weeks, I got like three phone calls a day of clients firing us. Like our sales went down like 40% in like literally a week and a half. I drank so much wine that month. <laughs> like I single-handedly kept the alcohol the store down the street open. But um, so and what I was realizing was the ones that stayed and the ones that left, there was like this fight or flight response. So there was a lot of leaders that were like, oh my gosh, I got to cut costs. We'll worry about it later. Like, you know, cut as fast as you can and, and, you know, to have the cash on hand. And then there was some, other, and I always say that they were like the flight, they hid in the, the bunker and they're like, wake me up when COVID's over and I'll come back out. Um, and they were going to hold on to their cash reserves as best they could. And then there was clients that were in that fight mode and they doubled down. And I have to tell you, and we did that too. We doubled down also. And I, we were in a pretty bad place. We, we were like, you know, one more major hit and I was going to have to consider some costs, like some serious cost cutting strategies. But at the moment we were, we had some cash and we were just under breaking even so I could keep our, our whole team on it and make major changes. And I said, listen, if you're, if you've got nothing to do, you're marketing for paradigm now. And I, <laughs> we just started pulling together strategy after strategy, campaign after campaign. Uh, and now we you know we shifted our, our our model a little bit we shifted our target audience a lot and now i mean gosh in july we had the best month we ever had we're up 70 percent from january so it's really awesome and i've seen the same thing with i think i was saying this on another interview i was on that not that i would want covid to ever happen but i think it's the best thing that's happened to our business because it forced change it forced innovation it forced 
new standard operating procedures. And my clients who did that also with us, you know, we have a lot of clients that were in that fight mode and pivoted and positioned and moved as fast as they could. They're all up also. So, uh, so I don't know, I've been seeing some, it's really put a, it's been a good stress test, I think, to the environment. So I keep thinking of two things. The first it's great to is, see a COVID. Is, sorry. A, a COVID what? Success story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is what I was going to say. Yeah. So I keep thinking of two things. I remember I lived through um, the 2008-9 recession when, thing, when the world just kind of ended. And um, I was in sales at the time. And I, I remember- guess that if you're listening to this podcast, you lived through the 2008-2009. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. There are some... Um, I feel like I, I, I know a lot of young professionals and they didn't experience the recession the Quite way the that, yeah. right, exactly. Um, and I remember watching um, company after company contract their marketing mm-hmm. dollars. And you tell a story so, so well about how if you contract during times of, of crisis, you're not going to end up in the space you mm-hmm. actually want to end up in. Like it's actually the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. Actually, so when this happened, I did a ton of research comparing the 2008-2009 recession. And of course, it's a very different environment, different recession, but we can look at what the crisis caused companies to do. And several studies found, uh, one particular that I'm thinking of, that they did a study of 600 companies and middle market companies. And they found that the ones that marketed aggressively during those years showed a uh, 275% growth over the next five years. And the companies that didn't, that just kind of like hid and waited, they only showed if they survived at all a 19% growth. So it's interesting if you look at the statistics, you know, even thinking about it, innovate, you know, crisis breeds innovation. So what I've, what I've seen is in 2008, you know, small business, I don't even remember the stats now, account for over 50% of the employment in, in the United States. And hundreds of thousands went out of business. And so there was huge, massive unemployment, not quite high it is now, but highest that we've seen in a very long time at that time. And what happened was we had this major shift, I'm sure you remember, to gig workers. Like it was the gig economy. So you got laid off, you started a small business, you did contracting work, and that actually remained pretty significantly over the next 10 years. But what happened pretty quick was companies started popping up to support this new environment. So think Airbnb, Uber, they created infrastructure for gig workers to work around. And even that's the time, you know, Amazon really took off. They already had their infrastructure, but it it went even further. And by the way, I heard a um, interesting ad on Amazon that makes me think they're they're even going to open logistics to, um, you know, entrepreneurs as well. They're in the logistics part of their business, but this, this, the whole world shifted because certain people were paying attention and they were able to capitalize on it. And so I think it's really important that we're constantly paying attention right now because it's changing at such a rapid place, pace, but there's an opportunity to be had if you're watching. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that I've been thinking of is, um, you know, we, there is this sort of philosophy that you're supposed to put only positivity out into the universe so that it will like beam it back mm-hmm. at yourself. But, um, the story of the prisoner of war mm-hmm. survivors. I heard that story long before I ever met you, but it has lived inside of me because it made so much sense. Mm-hmm. So could you tell that story really quickly? Yeah, I don't have the paper in front of me, so I hope I get it all right. But um, so Jim Collins wrote this book, Good to Great, and which is an excellent book. You should definitely read it. It's a little dated, but 
the, the premise is still awesome. And in it, he interviews a man named uh, James Stocksdale, Stockdale, I always say it with the S. And James was, James Stocksdale was a prisoner of war. He was a vice presidential candidate. He was a officer in the Navy during the Vietnam War and his plane was shot down and he was taken prisoner of war for seven years. He was beaten, he was abused, his leg was broken multiple times, he was starved. It was really a horrible experience. And just imagine seven years as a prisoner like that. And he was seen as a leader. He was the highest ranking officer to be a prisoner in the whole war. And so everybody looked up to him. He had to lead his men through this terrible crisis. He even at one point led an uprising against their captors. And the, you know, he was interviewed for this book and they asked him, you know, how did you survive? How did the men survive this? And he said, he said, the men who said, oh, it'll be over by Thanksgiving. We'll be out by Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving will come and Thanksgiving would go. And they say, oh, we'll be out by Christmas. And then Christmas will come and Christmas would go. Then they say, okay, well, Easter, we'll be out by Easter and Easter would come and Easter would go. He said, it was those people who died of a broken heart. And so the lesson was, we always think it's the optimists who are going to, you know, if you're optimistic, it'll, you know, happy attitude will change the world. But there's this healthy mixture of cynicism and optimism that you have to have because you have to accept your current environment and decide how you're going to live in it. So being optimistic is one thing, but accepting the situation you're in and then determining how to be optimistic about it is what's most important, not just kind of living on hope, so to speak. Yeah, I love that. The first time I heard that, I was like, the, the person telling the story said, if you have a very, very, very realistic understanding of your circumstances, you can get through anything. And I was Exactly, like, wow, yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you have to be positive, but you have to accept the current reality for what it is and not live in a dream world. And, you know, I've, I've been using that a lot as I'm speaking to clients and, and, you know, doing strategy sessions and consulting, because that mindset is what's going to make or break the growth of your business or your success over the next couple of months as we all face at these new challenges. And we have to understand that, um, you know, the world is changing so fast. I think we're all got a little complacent right now because we're used to it, but I really believe that the fall is going to bring some new challenges for us. And so we have to make sure that we continue to react and be aware of our reality in order to, you know, maximize how we handle it in a positive way. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay. On that note, I think we're definitely gonna... remembering back to the beginning of COVID when I was like, oh yeah, it's just going to be a few weeks. I did too. And a month, you know. We were so naive. I remember thinking like, this can't go past April. They won't let it. <laughs> well, you know, I got, I was privy to a meeting with a lot of business owners out of Italy when the crisis was happening right before it hit us that bad. And the way they were speaking was pretty terrifying, but you know, now it's our normal, but you know, yeah, we were all so naive at the time. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, I remember thinking two weeks. They're not going to let mm -hmm. us stay home for more than two weeks. No. I mean, yeah. and the they, like in my head, I don't know who they. I thought they was because <laughs> yeah. I knew that it wasn't. Well, it just anybody. seems unfathomable. You yeah, know? it really does seem completely unfathomable. And the way that we have, you know, as much as I really freaking hate this word at this point, pivoted. As mm -hmm. much as we have pivoted, I agree with you. I think that fall is going to have its own challenges and issues mm -hmm. and if we're not prepared to like roll with those punches the same yeah. way that we've been rolling mm -hmm. i don't know but yeah and i think it's important to pay attention because even now i'm seeing you know certain companies are going to die and there's nothing that we can do about it you know the 
some just can't live past the circumstances, which is horrible. But this is going to breed others to be to are that are going to be being born. So you know, if you're in retail, it's going to be really hard. You know, all these retail retailer chains declaring bankruptcy. But on the other hand, delivery services are way up. Technology services are way up. So there's going to be a new way of living and thinking that you know, business is going to thrive again. It's just going to be a new normal. Yeah. Um, okay. So on that note, I think we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to play a game. And we're back and it is now time to play Awful Awesome. Are you guys ready? I'm going to name three things I'm in quick succession. Ready. You are always ready. And you have to decide quickly if they're awful or awesome and be prepared to defend your answers. Ready? Okay. So the first one is kind of silly, even though it's not. When I was doing my pre-taping call with Rachel, she told a story, and so I had to include <laughs> casual misogyny in this list of all. <laughs> I mean, I think we can all sound too silly. We can all agree <laughs> it's universally awful. But um, Rachel, do you want to do you want to tell your your story? Yeah, well, I, I don't even know how this came up, but I casually mentioned that uh, when I was pregnant with my second child, I was like pretty pregnant, uh, and. Uh, an old gentleman came up to me and I think he was trying to be nice. And he said, you know, when you have this baby, you're going to have to slow down and just, you know, calm down and not work quite as much. And I said, well, I've had a child before. I, you know, I, I'm, I pretty, think I figured out the work-life balance thing. And he's like, no, after two, you're going to have to just take a break, <laughs> which I was like, thanks so much for your advice. I'll see you later. <laughs> Unsolicited advice from old men. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was good. But the best one, and this one's pretty, this one's not casual. I remember years ago before I had kids, I went to a sales meeting with um, a man and at the end of it, he said, well, why should I hire you to build my website? You're probably just going to have a baby and not work anymore. And my response to him was, well, if you want me to have your baby, you're going to have to pay a lot more. And then he didn't hire me. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> oh my God. All right, so I think we can all agree casual misogyny is awful, right? <laughs> awful, yeah. Awful, obviously. <laughs> uh, next up is the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. So, Vin, you've been complaining about this thing for as long as uh, I think I've known you, maybe? And this is the first time that I've heard this, <laughs> that somebody else knows about it. So go ahead, you guys talk about yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, wait, why do you hate, well, we talked about Disney earlier, but why do you hate Mickey Mouse, Mickey I didn't, Mouse Clubhouse? I didn't necessarily hate Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, but I think that anything that your kid watches too much, you know, can really oh, get into your head. Um, like, so especially during COVID, you know, like we mm -hmm. used to have, a very good limit on how much TV our That's daughter totally out watch the window, yeah. You know, she was, yeah, exactly. She was two going into this. She's three now. And, um, you know, at some point we were both working full time. We didn't have like a babysitter that could come mm -hmm. in and we couldn't sit down and play with her. So, you know, the TV wound up was obsessed with and watched all the time was Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. And I really tried to steer her away from it because it's not like there is no educational merit to Mickey mm -hmm. Mouse Clubhouse, but it's not like on the level of say like a Sesame street where that's like the <laughs> primary focus. Yeah. So I was like, if you're going to be watching something that much, why this? At least have it. Okay. So let me give you two tips. Storybots on Netflix is amazing. Storybots. 
They teach okay. things like, why is the sky blue? I didn't, I mean, I kind of knew from like sixth grade science class, but like not really, like how does your eardrum work? It's like fascinating. He was explaining like how my eyeball worked the other day. I was like, you're real smart. And he's four. And then the other one is number blocks, which is pretty awesome. It teaches them how to count. And he was like, he learned about the number 1 million and his face like on the TV was like shock and awe. Like, I can't believe there's a number that big. So, and those are pretty obsessive because they have songs included. So if you want to go for something educational, We've got that on repeat. <laughs> but I still All like right, I'm down for it. Yeah. yeah, go for it. I'll send you the links. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay, so where would you come down, Awful or Awesome, on Mickey Mouse Clubhouse? Me? Mm-hmm. Oh, I would be, I think it's pretty awesome. I'm definitely for it. I'm sure okay. it's fine. I, you know, it's, <laughs> you're just sick of it. Yeah, I mean, she's rolled through the whole series like yeah. multiple times now. She's since mm-hmm. moved on to uh, Sophia the First. And okay. Rolled through that so many times that I'm like, we got to be ready for something else, right? That's what I want to say about kids. They want to watch the heat. Okay, so ours is Robocarpoli from the moment he was born. It's I don't even know where it came from, but if I have to watch Robocarpoli one more time, I'm going to shove something through my eyeball because like we have yeah. now watched the seven seasons probably I kid you not 25 times. Yeah. And you try like you like every so often I'll, Let's I'll watch throw something, something else. else on. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. yeah, yeah. And like, she, there are times where she even likes them. She'll be like, oh, that was fun. But can we watch Sophia again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Love it. Okay, yeah. last one is uh, Zumba. 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 Yeah, I'll go first. I, I think it's awful, but that's because I am uncoordinated. I can't mm-hmm. do any kind of, I, I will I trip on my feet and I will fall on my face and it's embarrassing for everybody. Mm-hmm. I just am not the hand-eye coordination or maybe just the feet mm-hmm. coordination I can't do it and so yeah I also can't line dance I can't do like the electric slide so every time you know <laughs> at weddings and stuff I'm all, the Macarena was just easy enough there was no footwork <laughs> just barely the footwork throws you off I can't do Zumba either really oh my god it's awful you know what I'm really really tall and and like my limbs are very long and I have a hard time controlling them in an, in an elegant way. Like I just can't, my foot, my feet, my hands don't just don't listen to what my brain is telling them to do or there's like a delay. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, I can work. dance, but that kind of coordination just doesn't work. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every yeah. time I've tried to take an exercise class where you're all supposed to be in unison, it's always been the same thing where the whole class mm-hmm. and the teacher are in perfect synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm like three steps behind, you know, like <laughs> dying in the back. You know, it's just, I'm sure the teacher is very supportive of it, but you know, the rest of the class, you just think they're judging you and then I'm, I'm out. Uh-huh. You know? That's I no fun. Oh, they're totally yeah. judging you. Like yeah. that's not even a maybe. They're totally judging you. It's, mm-hmm. it's the worst, right? Yeah. Anyway. yeah. I think we talked about that a lot on our episode with the gyms with um, Mike Luzio, where oh, we were yeah. saying like, you know, like you'd like t- to believe that like everybody could just be supportive of everyone and like, you know, understand that people have, people are in different places than you are, but no, No. (laughs) everybody's got to be a joke. Come on. Yeah. Even in my own home, I won't do it like on a, on a tape because I just, yeah, my dog. I thought you were going to say, even in my own home, people are judging me when I'm. Oh, although my dog is judging me. My kids are judging me. My husband is a wonderful dancer and he is like, are you sure you are you okay? So (laughs) are you okay? (laughs) I'm sure I would get that too. Like, you know, yes. I'd be doing it and somebody in the background would be like, you need help. <laughs> but yeah. So our next segment is what is one piece of advice you'd give to your younger self? 
I would tell them to not be so, or take more risks, I guess I'd say. So I think I was always, especially in the early years of starting this business, I always let worry about failure hold me back or prevent me from taking risks. And I had a really great coach once say to me, you can't get to second base with your foot still on first. And I say that to myself a lot now, because if you really want to get where you got to go, you've got to take a risk. And after 10 years of doing this, I'm pretty, I still take, you know, it's still a little scary, but I've become pretty immune to risks. I'm like, eh, it'll work out <laughs> because it has, and I had, you know, eight out of 10, nine out of 10 times it works. And sometimes it's an epic fail, but you get back up. So I think I would definitely tell myself to take more risks. Anything coming up you want to promote? So we have a number of webinars that are coming up. One of them is about part of, uh, leveraging marketing, uh, cross-marketing strategies and partnerships in order to drive down advertising costs and increase your reach to new audiences. So I can, that, that's going to be on our website and I can send that out to you guys to share. Our website is paradigm-md.com. Awesome. And How can people get a hold of you if they need to or if they, they so, want to take advantage of some of your services? Sure. So they can go to our website. Again, I'll say at paradigm, P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M dash M-D, like marketinganddesign.com. And all of our information's on there. My email address is on there and they can reach out to me that way. Excellent. And we actually have a, um, a joint venture together on JBIA and, and Paradigm Marketing Design. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So when the, uh, when all this started, one of the first things we did was, you know, my sales team was having a hard time figuring out how to continue to network because everybody shut down and was freaking out and there was really no way to stay connected to people. So we started a, a group called Table for Four where you could register and then we would lump you into groups of four and we'd have a virtual uh, lunchtime event where you would get to spend, you know, 45 minutes or an hour with three other people, learn about the businesses, connect, talk personally, professionally, and maybe possibly refer each other. So couple months later, fast forward, uh, NJBIA joined us in that partnership, which we're so excited about. And so every Monday at noon, we have table for four, and you can register at any time on our website. Yep, we are delighted to be involved, and we've already found that it is just an extraordinary way to continue to make connections with people. So yeah, Absolutely. very excited. Okay, I think that that is the show. Thank you to our listeners, especially our subscribers. We really appreciate the support. Thank you to New Jersey Manufacturers Insurance Group, the official sponsor of the show. They do home, auto, and workers' comp, so check them out. And finally, a big thank you to Rachel Durkin of Paradigm Marketing and Design for joining us today. Thank you so much. This is awesome. It was a treat for us, too. Yeah. Okay, we'll see you next time. Bye.